with that said, my name is Walter. I am a member here at Holmes Avenue, and I am so excited that we get to look at the Scriptures here, continuing our study of the book of Ruth today. So as Troy said, we're going to be in chapter 2, so you guys uh, can already go and head over there. And I want to ask a question of you. Uh, Have you ever been in a time of your life where you've needed a rescue? Now, I know when I say rescue, you immediately think like something that's perhaps life or death, and, and perhaps you have been in something, a situation like that. But I think we've all been in a situation where we needed someone to rescue us, to help us out of our current situation. Uh, one example may be you've gotten a flat tire. I mean, and is there any kind of car trouble, right? And for most of us, we know enough to open the hood and say, I have no idea what I'm doing. So we need someone to rescue us from that circumstance. Perhaps uh, like my early experiences at cooking, you need someone to rescue you from the food poisoning you've just unleashed on your family. Um, There are varieties of rescue here. But one of the things that I remember as I think about rescue in terms of my own stories is a story from when I was a kid. I I was talking to my dad this week about it, and uh, we laughed about it now, but it was a rather terrifying experience in my childhood. Uh, You see, when I was growing up, uh, my grandfather is actually uh, the lead park ranger at the local state park. And so they lived out on the park, and we'd go out there all the time. And as we'd go out there and hang out, they would have uh, family reunions and different events out there. You know, when you live on the state park, you might as well take advantage of it, right? And so they'd have family reunions out there and just all kinds of great stuff. And one year, when I was about seven or eight years old, uh, we were having a family reunion out there, and I was so excited about this because I had some older cousins that were coming in for the family reunion, and this was always a great time that I got to hang out with these guys. You know, Chris was about seven years older than me, Davey was a year older, and I was always so excited because I was the oldest brother, you know, I only have one, one sibling, my little brother, and I was like, yeah, I get to go tag around and annoy someone for a change, this is going to be great, right? I'm sure they look forward to it as well. And this year, as we always do, we'd come hang out at the house and we'd go goof off, and then this year, they said, hey, Chris, if you guys want to go riding on the trails before dinner, you guys can. And then the next thing that was said was, and Walter, you can go too. So me, being the seven, eight-year-old kid, I'm like, yes, I get to go with the big kids, right? This is going to be so much fun. So I hop on the back of the golf cart, and we take off. And keep in mind that we only have family reunions once every few years, like normal people, right? And Chris takes off on this golf cart, starting on the trailhead in the backyard. And after about an hour of driving, we really don't have an idea where we're at, but it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal until the golf cart dies. So the golf cart, we're just in the middle of the road, just going, doing our thing, and it dies. And I am here just like, oh, whatever, this is fine, we're okay. And Chris gets out, and he looks at it, and he's like, I don't know what's going on, it's just not working. Keep in mind, this is before the era of cell phones, right? Like, there's no calling anyone or anything. Like, the first cell phone I can remember after this is like five years later when my mom got that box phone she used to keep in the car. Some of you remember that, right? <laughs> This was before cell phones. You couldn't Google Maps yourself and figure out where you're at. So we are very clearly just stuck out here in the wilderness with no radio, no nothing. We can't tell anybody where we're at. Well, me being a kid, is like, well, that's fine. They'll come looking for us, right? Not knowing that the state park is, you know, a couple of thousand acres, right? And so we're out there for what feels like hours before someone starts looking for us. And at this point, full-on panic has set in up at the house. My, my grandfather's calling the rest of the park rangers that we've got three kids missing. We need to start finding these guys. Like, they're out searching for us. And 
we're here, just sitting here, just hanging out. And again, I think nothing's wrong. Like, fine, it's okay. Like, yeah, we can't get back, but it's not a big deal. They find us. And then Chris says something that let me know we were in deep doo-doo. Okay? Chris said, guys, I think we need to pray. Now, I need to add some context to this. I grew up in a Christian household, but my cousin Chris was not a believer. His family was not Christians. They are still not Christians to this day. And so when he said that, I knew, wait a minute, he don't believe in this Jesus. We are in trouble when he thinks he needs to go to the God he doesn't believe in, right? We are in up the creek without a paddle. And so in my mind, I knew, okay, now we need someone to help us because this is a problem. Now, within a few minutes, though, God perhaps certainly does answer prayers. My grandfather had pulled up. He kind of guessed where we were going to be going. And he pulled up and said, well, the problem is you dummies took the wrong golf cart. This is the one that had the faulty battery that I told you not to take. But in that moment, my, my grandfather was our rescuer. He, he came and he saved us from that terrible situation of living out in the woods by ourselves. And these guys were talking about resorting to cannibalism. I was the smallest one there. It was going to get badly for me, okay? Lord of the Flies was setting in. It was a horrible situation. And I needed a rescue. And my grandfather provided that for me. He showed up just in the nick of time before they were thinking about roasting me over a fire. And he showed up and he was able to rescue us and take us back and everything was good. Now, I say all that jokingly because our lives never really were in danger. You know, we were just a few miles away from the house. They would have found us sooner rather than later. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we needed a rescuer, that we needed someone to come and save us. And where we left off in the book of Ruth, we see that Naomi and Ruth, the two main characters, if you will, that we've been introduced to so far, are in need of a rescuer. If you remember that in chapter 1, they were in Moab, they're in this land that they know no one else left, and they are the only ones left from their family. That one of Naomi's daughter-in-laws, Orpah, has left. She's gone back to her people, and Ruth has said, I'm staying with you. And they're here, and they're, they're saying, what do we do? And so at the end of chapter 1, we see in verse 22, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. You see, they're, they're left alone, and they don't know what to do. So they return back to Bethlehem, this place that Naomi had abandoned decades ago. And they come back in the midst of the barley harvest, actually about this time of year in Israel. And so they return, and that leaves us with this idea of hope as they go into chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1 lays out, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is kind of an aside to the reader, just, as, just so you know. And then in verse 2, the story continues, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So here we're in the midst of their stories. They've come back to Bethlehem. These are two single women here in the midst of the city of Bethlehem. And that's a dangerous place for them to be. You see, here in this time, women are not valued as they are in many circles today. That to be a woman in this time as a single woman, you can't own property. You are going to have a hard time finding labor. You are not there under the protection of anyone. They are here and they are alone. Beyond that, they're hungry right? And so they're here and they're thinking, well, how do we eat? And Ruth says, let me go and glean among the fields. 
Let me go glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I will find favor. And so she is saying, I, I recognize that there is this Levitical law here from the, earlier in the Old Testament that I can go to the fields and that if these people are, are God's people, they're not going to turn me away. This land is God's land first and foremost. And so I can go around the dredges of the field and maybe just get enough for us to survive. And Naomi says, go, my daughter. Now, here, Naomi's also in need of a rescue, a redeemer, if you will. Because if you remember at the end of chapter 1, when she comes back to Bethlehem, everyone says, look, it's Naomi. Do you remember her? And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt with me bitterly. And from her perspective, she views God as having abandoned her. I mean, think about this. She left Israel in the midst of a famine with her husband. Her husband then, they have children, and they marry here in Moab. And then from there, her husband dies. Her two children die, and she's left completely alone. And as if that's not bad enough, now Moab's going into a period of famine. And so she looks at the world through these bitter, dark, broken goggles, and she says, the Lord has dealt with me bitterly. And she's here and she's broken, and she is in need of a rescuer. And so she says, go, my daughter. And so she, Ruth, in verse 3, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said to me, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So, Naomi happens to end up in this field that is owned by Boaz. And she's here and she's working. She's come to the reapers and she's appealed to them with this Levitical law. And she says, may I just gather from the edges of the field? May I gather the wheat that you don't think is worthwhile? May I gather the wheat that you're going to leave there to rot and decay anyway? May I just pick these things up so that I may eat? And so the reapers initially give her permission just to do that. And Boaz comes into the picture. And Boaz is a special man. You see, Boaz comes into the picture, and the first thing we see him say is he says to the reapers, the Lord be with you, and they answer, the Lord bless you. And so as we look at this, Boaz walks into this field, and he's talking to his reapers, and the first thing he says is, the Lord be with you. Now, this isn't a, a traditional greeting within Israel. This is Boaz here in the story demonstrating his holiness, his character, his Christ-likeness, if you will, as he comes into the field. He's developed such a working relationship with these people that serve underneath him. He's developed a culture where he walks into this field and he says, may God's favor be upon you. And his people, his laborers say, and may the Lord bless you. Now, this is also crucial for us to remember that what Boaz says here is also an aside to us because we've talked about that this field is ultimately God's, right? He has given us everything we have. He has provided all the things He has laid out before us. 
And as Ruth has come into this field, she has come into the perfect place to meet the most important man she is ever going to meet in her life. Now, do you think it's coincidence that Ruth ended up in this field that is owned by Boaz? i got a few no's. You're paying attention. That's good. That's good. No, it is certainly not coincidence that she ended up here. This is God's divine plan being carried out so that she may enter this field of this man of Boaz. Now, we talked earlier about Naomi and said that the Lord has dealt bitterly with her, that she has been abandoned by God. But here we are just a few short verses later, and we can see that God indeed has not abandoned her because now He is providing for her. You see, now she is going to be able to go into this field and to glean this food. But more importantly, she meets Boaz. Now, who is Boaz, right? He's this important figure in their life. He is what we call the kinsman redeemer. That's very important as we continue on into this chapter. But here's the crux of that. Boaz is going to be ultimately Naomi and Ruth's rescuer. That he is going to be the one that rescues them from the shame they feel. That he's going to be the one who rescues them from the poverty that they are in. He is going to be the one who rescues them from the horrible situation that they are in the midst of. And ultimately, as we look at this, Boaz takes the role that Christ has taken in our lives. That he has come into our lives to rescue and redeem his people. That just as Boaz is going to redeem and rescue Ruth and Naomi, Christ has done the same thing in our lives. And so as we continue here, we're going to see Boaz respond accordingly. In verse 5, Boaz says to the young man who's in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? You know, who, who's this stranger who is in our field gleaning this wheat? And the servant says, She's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. At this point, Bethlehem's a small town. You know, I don't know if you really realize this, but I grew up in a town where cows outnumbered people. Okay? Uh, we had about 1,500 people and about 2,000 cows. Okay? Just a picture of what my life was like. And Bethlehem isn't much bigger than that. They have a few more cows probably, but it's a small town. Everyone knows everybody's business, and everyone knows that Naomi has come back in town with this young Moabite named Ruth. Now, as we think about this statement, that the young, the young Moabite woman, we've got to add some context here. Now, if you know anything about the Scriptures, you know that the Moabites have problems with Israel. Maybe you perhaps aren't familiar with the Bible, but going back to the time of Abraham, back in Genesis, the Moabites have had conflict with the people of God. That, in fact, it is in modern Jewish culture, Moabites have been banned from Israel. They don't want them there, they don't let them in, they don't care to have them. That if you're from Moab, you're not really worthy of coming to stay in Israel, according to Jewish culture. And so when this reaper says that this, she's this young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi, a few heads probably turned and said, what? The Moabite? And then he continues and says, she said, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And she's been here all morning working. Now, the traditional Jewish response would have been, get out of my field, Moabite. Who do you think you are to come here? You're not worthy of the covenant that our God has established. Who are you to belong here? Who are you to think that you can come and feed yourself here? 
But Boaz does something that is unique in this culture. You see in verse 8, as we continue, Boaz then goes to Ruth and he says, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. He continues, Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, there's a great deal that's happening there. But the beginning of it is that Boaz turns the cultural response on its head. See, the cultural response for the Jews in that time period was to turn away the Moabites. That they are enemies of the covenant. But Boaz's response is to say, Now listen, my daughter. That he's painting this picture of his love and responsibility for this woman that he doesn't even know. That he doesn't know her, he doesn't have any connection to her before this point. And he says, now listen, my daughter. That he is demonstrating the respect and love that she is worthy of. He says, listen, my daughter. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. You see, not only is he giving her permission to work in this field, but he's also offering her protection. He's saying, glean with my young women, those who are here as my servants. That will provide you protection. You are going to be with women who I know and trust, who are going to look out for you. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? You see, Boaz is very, uh, perhaps modern in his understanding of the workplace. You know, what we just read is the first sexual harassment policy in the world, in the history of the world. He has said, have I commanded the young men not to touch you? That can perhaps be best translated as, have I told them not to harass you, accost you, offend you, rebuke you? He is saying, I've told these men that they are followers of God and they will behave as such. And he says, so you are protected here in this field. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. That one can almost read as a throwaway passage if you don't understand Jewish culture. So they're working in the fields outside of Bethlehem. And there's not a well out here. The wells are all inside the walls of Bethlehem. So when the workers are going out, they would go to the well first thing in the morning and they would draw out water and fill their vessels and carry it out with them so that they have something to drink during the day. Now, also in that culture, foreigners must, if they are near the well, must serve the Jews first. That even if you've gotten there before the Jews, you must draw water for the Jews themselves. And then, if that's not enough, women must then draw water and serve the men. Ruth is at the bottom of this hierarchy as a foreign woman, right? But he turns that on his head and says, you don't need to worry about drawing water. The water that was drawn for these men, that they've drawn, you can partake of it. Take whatever you want. Now, this is a rather stunning statement here in the midst of this, that he has gone to this Moabite woman and rather than go through the cultural response and kick her to the curb, he has said, my field is yours. I'm here to serve you. And if you can't see that that immediately points us to the redeeming work of Christ in our lives, then you need to put some glasses on. 
that here is the reality of that statement. That just like Christ has come into our lives and said that there is nothing you need to do, there is nothing you need to be concerned with, I am here to walk with you, to protect you, to guide you, to care for you. Boaz does the same thing for Ruth. That as we look in the midst of this, that it is very clear that as we look at the Bible, we must start with the end in mind and read backwards. That we must know where the story goes, and we know that there is a Christ coming, and everything Boaz is doing here is but a pale shadow of that. He is pointing to the redeeming work of the Messiah every step of the way. And so he demonstrates this amazing grace to this woman. And it would have sent a shockwave throughout Bethlehem. Let me tell you, they would have been talking and gossiping about Boaz from this point forward. Did you hear what he did? Did you hear what he let that Moabite woman do in his field? Do you know that he let her act as if she was a part of the covenant? People would have been going crazy over this. Now, Ruth's response to this in verse 10. She says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? You see, we don't know how long Ruth has been here in this land of Israel. But what she demonstrates for us right there is that everywhere she has gone, she has been treated as an alien, as a foreigner, as someone who is not worthy of the time to pay attention to her. She has been outcast. She has been left alone. The only person she has that she can call upon is this bitter old woman named Naomi who is not much help right now. And so she is completely alone in this land. She has left her gods in Moab behind. She has left her family in Moab behind. That she has no one. And she has been at the bottom of the social hierarchy for perhaps weeks, perhaps months alone with no one there to care for her. And so when Boaz demonstrates this grace and says, you are to be treated as one of my own children, her response is, what have I done? What have I done to earn favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? That same question can be asked of us as individuals. What have I done that God would find favor in me to call me His child? What have I done that would cause Jesus to look upon me and say, He is mine? What have you done to cause Christ to say that? The answer is nothing. That in His own good free will, God has said, I want you. That there is nothing you have done, there is nothing you have done that would cause Him to say, I need you. But there is also nothing you are going to do that will cause Him to reject you and throw you away. That you are His. And so Naomi is experiencing this grace being displayed in an earthly way. And she says, why would you notice me? Why would you treat me this way? And in verse 11, Boaz answers her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
See, Boaz say, I have heard of your character. I have heard of your conversion, actually. You see, when she followed Naomi back to Bethlehem, she rejected her gods. She said, where you go, I will go. Whom you follow, I will follow. And she is saying, I have done away with those old gods. I am now a part of this covenant. I follow the God Almighty. And so Boaz says, I've heard of the things you've done. I have heard that you have come and you are here to care for your mother-in-law when no one else would. And in verse 12, he prays this prayer over her. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. He's recognizing that, Naomi, that Ruth has done something unique for Naomi, that she has come and given up everything to care for this woman and to follow the God Almighty, the Lord Almighty. And so he prays that the Lord would repay her for what she's done and that a full reward would be given to her, the God of Israel, under whose wings she has come to take refuge. You see, Boaz is now changing in this prayer as he is saying, Yes, you are ethnically a Moab. You were born in Moab. But you are now a part of the covenant of Israel because you have chosen to follow Yahweh. Because you have chosen to follow God, you are no longer a Moabite, but you are now a child of God. You see, he is recognizing that she has chosen to follow Jesus. That she is following the Lord in the midst of her trials and temptations. And so as he prays this prayer, he is praying that she continue to follow him. And in verse 13 she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Again, she is awed by the grace that has been displayed before her. Because here in her time in Israel, she has been the outcast. She has been rejected. She has been despised by people. And here, she has someone who not only looks upon her and finds value in her just as a person, but then recognizes that she has accepted. She has chosen to follow God. And she is now a part of the covenant. That she is a child of the Lord Almighty. She has found hope in the midst of her horrible, difficult situation. Now, if that's not enough, Boaz continues on to display this earthly measure of grace in verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat by the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So she's here in the field gleaning of the wheat that is available because she's hungry, right? She doesn't have food. And Boaz says, he recognizes this. He says, come, eat with us. He says, come eat this bread that my servants have made for themselves. They will share it with you. Here, enjoy this wine that I have provided for them. This is now yours as well. And then she sits beside the reapers and it says, he passed to her roasted grain. The English doesn't carry the connotation. As we look back into the Hebrew, it says he passed to her. But what it actually means is he served her. 
that he came to this lowly servant who wasn't even his servant. She, he has no obligation and responsibility for her. And he comes to her and then serves her her meal. He's the Lord of the household, serving the least of these, one whom he has no responsibility for. If this can't get an amen out of you, then you're dead and asleep. That this is the image of what Christ has done for us. That the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who sits on the throne, who had no obligation to come down to earth, came down to serve the least of these. That we were foreigners and strangers in a lonely land. That we were far from God. We were outside the covenant. We were enemies of God. And in the midst of that, He willingly came to humble Himself and serve those who would reject Him. And He came so that He could have you and I to be a part of His family. And so Boaz serves her. And then she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Boaz must have been a Baptist because he made her a to-go box. I've got to make sure you're awake, so once in a while we'll slip that in. Verse 15, When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So he calls out to the young men and gathers them around and says, let her glean even among the sheaves, that is, the ones that you've cut down and set aside, the good ones, the good grain that you are going to reserve for us to take and to sell or to make bread with. Let her glean from the good stuff. And if that's not enough, let her pull out from the bundles. Pull some out from the bundles you've set aside and say, here's some more good stuff. You don't even have to work for it. Here. What he is saying is make it easy for her to find her meals here. And then he says, do not reproach her and do not rebuke her. What he is telling, he's reminding them, you are men of God. Do not behave in any way that will bring dishonor to God. And if she is doing something that you're not happy with, as in she's getting the good stuff, well, I want her to get the good stuff, so deal with it. You see, here in the midst of this, Boaz displays astounding generosity. Because according to the laws that we find earlier in the Old Testament, all he has to do is let her take from the dredges of the field the old beaten down stuff that he wasn't going to use anyway. That's all he has the biblical obligation to do. But, because he is out for the pursuit of justice and bringing honor to the name of God, he goes above and beyond the bare minimum biblical obligation. He says, take the good stuff. Take it all, in fact. Here, let's make sure she has enough. Throw some outs for her to pick up. Pull out some of the stuff aside and just give it to her. Take care of her in a very generous way. Now, in verse 17, she says, She gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about a, a path of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
So there's a few things we have to understand there. She works until the evening, and then she beats out what she had gleaned. You see, this, this wheat that she is harvesting, you have to beat the grains out of them. So it also tells us that Boaz let her use his facilities to thresh this wheat so that she may have grain to go and to use. And then she leaves with a path of grain, of barley. Now, the path you hear there, you're like, well, what is that? Like, I don't even understand what that measuring is. As we look at the ancient sources we can find, that's anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds of barley that she left with. The average laborer averaged about 12 to 15 pounds a day that they took away with them. She has triple of what the average laborer would have that day. And it doesn't point to her own industriousness. It points to the generosity and kindness of Boaz, who said, I want her to have more than enough. So she's going to take away three times what all of you guys, who I actually pay, are going to take away. So she comes back with this incredible, generous bundle, and her mother-in-law takes notice, right? When I was a kid, if I bought something that was new or special and I walked in the house with it, immediately my mom's like, what you got there? Anybody else, mama, do that? No, maybe. But immediately the mother-in-law says, so what is this? Where did you get this from? Like she knows that this is an incredible amount of food for her to bring home. And she hasn't even seen the leftovers yet. And so she says, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you because this is an incredible, unique, and unusual situation. And so Ruth tells her mother-in-law with whom she worked, and she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Now this takes us back to verse 1 in chapter 2 here. They have a relative of Naomi's, her husband's relative, a worthy man of the clan of, of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. It's the same Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished a harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Lest you be in another field, you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. You see, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, after she heard that the man she met today, who has blessed her so richly and generously, his name is Boaz, she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. What we see right there is the beginning of Naomi's rescue and redemption as well. As you've seen earlier, she is bitter, she is angry, she has been left alone in her mind. And today, she experienced the blessings, the generosity of a complete stranger, of someone she had no idea who it was. And she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. We're seeing the beginning of her heart being softened and her return to the God that she has served. And then she says, almost as an aside, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, Maybe your mom has said this to you before. You know, something to the effect of, oh, that, that Boaz, 
That Boaz is a nice boy. You should, you should keep hanging out with that Boaz. Maybe your mom has said something like that to you. I know mine has said that to me many times. Growing up in a small town, she knew everybody. She's like, oh, that's a nice girl. You should, you should hang out with her. And then when she met Kelly, she's like, that's a nice girl. You should put a ring on it. <laughs> really, my family likes Kelly more than me. It's, it's, it's crazy. Just, you probably aren't surprised, right? But she says, this Boaz is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, we've talked about very briefly this concept of the kinsman redeemer. Let us lay it out in full because Naomi is seeing her rescue being played out right before her eyes. She is seeing redemption be provided for her right now. You see, in Jewish culture, in this time, the kinsman redeemer is this concept that the clan, the family of a, a widow, would seek to care for her and provide for her needs that God had instituted this in the laws he had laid out to Israel. And essentially what it was is that the widows were to be provided for by the clan, by worthy men. They were to care and provide for them, watch over them, protect them, let them serve as their servants so that they would be under their authority and protection. And Naomi, as she hears about Boaz displaying this generosity, Ruth goes, well, that's our rescuer. That's... That's our, come, that's our redemption there. Ruth, that Boaz is a really nice boy, don't you know? You should go to his field a little more often. You see, she understands that Boaz is there to serve as a redeemer because he is the closest male relative of Elimelech. You see, now she's putting together the connections and going, He is the one who can rescue us from this circumstance. He is the one who can redeem this story and change my name from one of bitterness to one of hope and life. And in this moment, she sees the redemption that He can provide and she says, Ruth, you must go back to Him. Now, we've talked about how in the midst of this story, it is put in a clear display of the grace of God and His work in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and how that is still an imitation of the work of Christ in our lives. And if we are to look at this story and to understand what it is being said here, just as Boaz is the Redeemer for Naomi and Ruth, Christ is the Redeemer for you and I. That here in the midst of our story, some of us are bitter and angry. Here in the midst of our story, some of us are broken and tired. Here in the midst of our story, we have felt abandoned and lost, and we are in need of a rescue. That we are in need, not just of a rescue from our physical circumstances, but we are in need of redemption, of a redeemer. We need someone to be our hero and to save us that every one of us has lived that story. Every one of us has experienced that brokenness. And as we look to the coming Redeemer, that Redeemer's name is Jesus Christ. That He is the one who has come to redeem His people. That you've heard the story, you've seen it played out many times, that you've heard this Easter after Easter after Easter, that Christ came to live a perfect life, that He came to live the life that you or I cannot live, that we could not live. 
That for you and I, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us. That He came to live the perfect life that we couldn't. And in the midst of that perfection, walking this earth, He came with one goal in mind. He came to seek and to save the lost. That He came solely, not to live a perfect life, not to receive an earthly crown, but to come and rescue His people who were in the midst of a horrible situation. The situation that we live in is that that sin will lead us to eternal death and damnation. And in the midst of that, Christ came to rescue His people from that fate. And so He lived this perfect life that we couldn't, that none of us can. And He came and died upon the cross to pay for the debt of our sins. That He hung upon the cross so that you and I could look upon Him and call out just like the thief on the cross beside Him. I want a seat on the bus, Lord. I want a spot in Your kingdom. I want forgiveness of my sins. I want to be a part of the family. That for you and I, that is what we have the opportunity to do. And so as the band comes back up here in this next few moments, this is our opportunity to respond to the work of God in our lives. That whatever your story, wherever you've been from, whatever you've experienced, we have seen that God can redeem and rescue His people. That even if you are here and you are angry and you are bitter, even if you are here and you are lost and you are lonely, no matter where you are at, no matter what you are experiencing, none of it is too great for the strong hand of God to work in. And so as we are here today, we've come to the opportunity for us to respond to the good news of Christ. And so today I want to tell you something that may surprise you, but each and every one of you is going to make a decision today. That every one of you is going to choose to do something with the gospel. And you are either going to accept it and celebrate the grace of God in your life, or you are going to reject it and turn away from Jesus. And so my question for you today is, will you accept Him and follow Him, or are you going to reject Him? That as we look at the story we've just read, Naomi and Ruth have looked to their earthly redeemer, Boaz, and said, we will not reject him because he is the one who has come to rescue us. In that same vein, we must look to our heavenly redeemer, Jesus, and say, I will not reject him because he has come to rescue us today. And so with that said, I want to pray for us as the band begins to pray that if you feel that you need to speak to someone about what God is doing in your life, if you feel that you are too far gone and you're without hope and that there is nothing He can do to rescue you, come speak to me. You can come speak to Troy. You can talk to anyone here who loves Jesus. But come speak to us because I assure you that the God that I serve, the God that I am proclaiming about today is not too weak to do nothing. The God that I serve is a lion who is roaring. He is the lion who has come to devour sin and death. He has come to reign on high and to call you His. And so today you have an opportunity to follow Him. So I want to pray for you. And the band's going to lead us in a time of worship. And I want to encourage you to respond as you may be led. You can sing and praise. 
You can sit and pray. You can come and speak. Whatever it is God has called you to do. But I beg you to listen to whatever it is He has called you to do. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for the grace and mercy that has been on display in the book of Ruth. That here we are and we've encountered this kinsman redeemer, the one who has come to rescue Naomi and Ruth from this earthly trouble that they're in. But Father, we know that that is nothing but a pale shadow, an imitation of the one who is to come. The redeemer whose name is Christ, who has come to rescue and redeem his people. Father, we pray today that we would be receptive to the Spirit that is at work in here. That we would trust that if you are speaking to us, Lord, that you are speaking to us so that we may find you. And Father, I pray whatever you are saying to us, whether it is to sit and pray, whether it is to stand or sing, whether it is to come and speak, that we would be obedient and listen. That for many of us, perhaps, this is just one more day in following Christ and celebrating the good news of our redemption. But perhaps today, Father, is the day of someone beginning their journey of following you. So, Lord, I pray that we would look upon you and we would sing these songs of your holiness, of your your power, your majesty. And that we would be in awe of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he has come to save the least of these and he has come to save the broken and the tired. That he has come to rescue and redeem his people. So, Father, may we sing very clearly of the good news of Christ today and celebrate the riches, the immeasurable riches of your great mercy. Father, thank you for what you have done for us. And I pray that we would celebrate and praise your name. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.